one of my most memorable movie watches on a plane. So I watched Kong Skull Island and uh, I crashed. You're still listening. This is our final transmission. Hi everyone, welcome to um, Final Transmission. I am one of your hosts, my name is Jamie. With me as always is my good friend, Sam Russo. Say hi Sam. Hi everyone. How are you doing today? I'm doing fucking terrible. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. I've uh, I've got a beer on the go. I've got Sam's webcam directly in front of me. What else could you possibly ask for? Me too. All things considered, uh, rapidly improving for spending time with you, Jamie, and mm. for talking to people about horror movies, about us, and about why the fuck we're here. Yeah. So this was born out of our friendship. We've been friends for a long-ass time right now. Mm. Um, and we've spent many a night in a van or hiding in a dark room in a, a house party, yep. chatting shit and having a wonderful time mostly chatting about movies mostly just getting pumped about stuff yeah we just like we like to like things so um and we thought you know what 10 12 years in the making why not record the chats that we have and send them out into the world like that episode of red and stimpy where stimpy gives birth to a fart called stinky (laughs) exactly what you're gonna say (laughs) yes this is our stinky fart and we hope you enjoy it um yeah i i love the idea of just talking to you endlessly and listening to all your amazing film knowledge and all the movie stuff that you love and just getting pumped on it and sending it out to people and hoping they feel the same um that's what we're here for that's why we're here uh so we thought we'd start this whole you know, mesmerizing, kaleidoscopic, horror-tastic journey uh, with a little chat about some of the stuff that we like, just yeah. to kind of let you know what you're in for. So we're going to talk a bit about uh, some movies that we like. I, I sort of um, approached it as what of five movies that I would show to someone to say, you know, this is my personality. This is like how you get to know me. I used to, when I was like 15, give girls that I wanted to date a copy of uh, De Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse and be like, if you read this, you'll understand me. And um, <laughs> that, What the fuck? That's the biggest <laughs> ask you could ever imagine. Before you know me, before we even talk, here's an entire novel for you to read. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, you know, it's just a little bit of German pre-beat werewolf insanity. It's great. <laughs> sure, it works. I have a guy... Uh, a friend of mine who uh, had no chat up lines. People would say he had no game and he did not know what to say to people that he was interested in. So he asked us one day if this would be a good chat up line. He said, is it if I go up to them and tell them I've read the Silmarillion, is that a good chat up line? <laughs> we said, fuck yeah, it's a great chat up line. So he used to go up to people and say, hi, I've uh, I've read the Silmarillion, you know. And that was his opening gambit. Pretty good. How How's he doing now? great he's doing great now he's fully married and goes to a lot of metal festivals and works for cancer research so he's killing it perfect didn't think i'd be shouting out mike smith in our first episode uh <laughs> feel, feel free to cut that if it's irrelevant 
I I can't fucking imagine using any kind of chat outline on a on another human being. It's absolutely mortifying yeah. to me. I don't think I ever did it as a kid either. It's uh, I mean, the idea of just talking to women frightens me to my core. So, and that's why we're here. Yeah, <laughs> that's what got us here. <laughs> Have you read to Steppenwolf, by the no, way? No, dude, no. Have you not? I'll lend it to no. you so you can understand me. Yeah, I really want to sleep with you at some point. So if you're going <laughs> to, you know, if we can preheat that oven a little bit, that'd be great. It's, it's an amazing book. Have you read any Herman Hess? No. Wild to me. Wild that you love all like the the sort of drunken romantic types. Hess is like the progenitor of like Fante or Bukowski or okay. like those, those types. Couldn't really get into old fanty pants to be honest really too much too much wine chat yeah a lot of wine chat a lot of uh whimsy a lot of um diversionary whimsy that i couldn't really get down to i just wanted the misery that's uh yeah that's what i was there for what are you reading right now let's tell people let's give people a little little taste of now so what i'm reading right now is uh meddling kids Ooh, what's that which is like a scooby-doo stuff yeah it's a off-brand scooby-doo meets lovecraft vibe it's very careful to not step on any ip mm. boundaries to a little bit to its detriment but i'm enjoying it i'm uh maybe halfway through how about you nice i'm reading the dogs of winter by kem nunn which is uh amazingly classified as surf noir nice. which is awesome yeah it's great it's um a down and out surf photographer gets the assignment of a lifetime and it goes f- getting horribly wrong it's got me absolutely riveted it's one of one of uh one of my favorite reads of the last many years i'm really enjoying it nice i might take a borrow of that when you're done i'll fucking send it your way bud holy shit i guess that's why they call it phantom power Jamie. Yes, mate. Guess what? Go on. Final Transmission, this podcast that you are very much a part of is brought to you by Red Scare Industries, Chicago and the world's greatest record label. Holy shit. That's uh, yeah. that's cool. That's pretty great. Uh, why do we love Red Scare? A million and one reasons. Mainly the music. Uh, out now on Red Scare, we've got Head Full of Snakes by the band Tightwire. Superb, highly polished punk rock bangers for fans of Blink-182, The Copyrights, The Lillingtons, etc. Buy it now before it fucking explodes. I've not heard this record yet, so I'm going to buy it right now. Well, after we record this. No, I'm going to watch you buy it right now. Show me. Show Daddy how you buy records. (laughs) (laughs) And let's go back to the show. So do you want to chat about the movies that define your very being... Solidified on this podcast forever. Yeah. Before we go on, you said five just now, but you texted me three. I think I texted you. Do I get five? I think I texted you four. What the fuck? (laughs) Somewhere between three and five. Okay. Um, I mean, I've got got ten. One on the fly. Yeah, exactly. I've got a thousand. I just fucking wrote down three. Fuck me. Okay. Okay. So give me your first recommendation. Okay. Um, so, bearing in mind, this is in no way a definitive list. However, I think this would be on any definitive list I ever made in terms of favorite movies, movies that mean something to me, that I grew up with, that I love now. I think it fits in nearly every list I have. And that is a little-known classic called Wayne's World. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I'm just an enormous 
enormous Mike Myers fan, for oh. better or for worse. Um, I, I laugh at basically anything Mike Myers does, even the really twee, cheesy stuff, even the stuff that's kind of hammy and obvious. But I really feel like Wayne's World captures something that's absolutely fucking 100% unique. Um, and that is a character in a world created by, you know, a, a, this is like an Illinois suburb of Chicago guy and world created by a Canadian by way of British parentage that just kind of trickles down this comedy funnel into a movie that's that's really moving, that's actually kind of instructional when it comes to the ways of the world and life and love and friendship. But that is, above all else, fucking stylish and hilarious. And I think... Um, Wayne's World, to me, laid out a blueprint of what was funny from when I was a kid until I was in my late teens. And I still go back to it time and time again for, uh, you know, a million and one reasons. But the cast just fucking blew my mind. The music's incredible. The jokes are absolutely bang on from start to finish. The pacing's perfect. Visually, it's fantastic. It's set in a part of the world that I love and that I'm obsessed with. And it does everything I need a movie to do um, in the kind of comedy realm. Yeah, no, I, I was always a big fan of Wayne's World when I was a kid. I don't think I've seen it in 10 years, maybe longer. Whoa. Um, but I was a huge fan of it when I was a kid. I had a book. It was called Wayne's World Extreme Close-Up. I've that, got that book. That's, it was great. I used to read it all the time. I, 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 So much of my personality now is defined by my love of Wayne's World when I was a kid. Fuck yeah. Like, I got really into SNL. Mm-hmm. I got really into, like... Mike Myers, I, I I would put Sorry Married and Axe Murderer above Wayne's World, but I think that's the niche little dickhead inside me trying to trying to get out. You I, know, I mean that's the hottest take I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> trying so hard not to rise to the bait. Um, the the poetry scenes in Sorry Married and Axe Murderer have me in bits because it's it's pure pure Mike Myers, right? Yeah. That's straight from like his ill-fated stand-up and 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 probably like the the stuff that he couldn't quite flesh out in snl i think it, it is a fucking really funny movie and, and those scenes in particular crease me but yeah it's a gateway to the whole snl cast of that era you know for guys born uh, people born around like the time that we were born uh i didn't know dana carvey you know i didn't know rob lowe even really yeah so you know getting to dig into those and you know loads of great cameos and just like you know a pulling together of a you know, a scrappy, wild, seat-of-your-pants comedy world that just fucking comes together so perfectly as a movie. I love it. I think my main criticism as an adult of Wayne's World is that these metal guys aren't into metal. Yeah, they're very... I mean, that's the thing, right? I I don't think Mike Myers is writing it with any kind of authentic knowledge Mm. of what being a rocker or a metalhead is. He's writing it from this really loving, pastiche perspective. He's writing it as, like, fascinated... Uh, satire essentially uh, but he, he does it with so much love and so much care as as he does you know he's very rarely like horribly scathing or, or really crass or really crude so well I mean later on short but like in this movie I think it comes from such a place of love like you can tell he loves the character of Wayne it doesn't really matter that it's more about Aerosmith than Cannibal Corpse you know what I mean <laughs> it's like yeah uh, I mean it kind of matters to me but yeah <laughs> I know what you mean you know it kind of sunk its way into my psyche from watching it from when I was really really young and uh, I don't have a problem with that at all. Like sometimes I think you kind of have to ditch some stuff that you loved when you were a kid because it, it it holds you back or it kind of doesn't doesn't help you, doesn't bring you any renewed joy or anything. But Wayne's World is just a movie I return to time and time again. Does nothing for me but make me happy. Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, so similarly for me, the first one on my list mm. is like we say that our lists could change 
hour to hour, minute to minute, day to day. Already decided I hate Wayne's World. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the first movie on my list would 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 be on my list regardless, mm-hmm. and that is 1984's uh, Repo Man. Okay, all right, nice. Let's go. I think Repo Man is my favorite movie ever. Whoa! I think it's I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious when it wants to be hilarious, and sometimes it's hilarious when it doesn't quite want to be hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, the performances are great. I think the the weird mix of like sci-fi, but from clearly from a brain that doesn't like interpret sci-fi the same way that like Arthur C. Clarke interprets sci-fi. Sure. So like infused with that sort of eighties nihilism and like the futility of like the eighties punk scene. I think it's just it's just a, a perfect movie. I think there are there are so many bits in it that are my favorite bits of a film ever. I know a life of crime led me to this sorry fate. Yeah, and yet I blame society. I think it's just <laughs> hilarious. The delivery of that line is so perfect. Yeah, it's magic, right? You're just a what's what's what does um, Otto say in reply? Like you're just a. Middle class street punk like the rest of us. Yeah, but it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, there's, there's so, so much, good. Yeah, there's so much great stuff in there. It, I got to be honest, I watched it too young. I think it took me like two or three tries to get fully through it because I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. Like I had no frame of reference. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I watch it. I would say like every couple of years I just get pulled to it and I have to have to dive back into that grime. It's a, it's a really fucking cool movie, definitely. Yeah. Big fan. Big fan of that movie. What a great movie. So I'm with, with my list here, I, I wavered between like, hey, these are recommendations, so I should try and say things that people haven't seen. Right. And like, oh, hey, these are these are the movies that like really define me. Yeah. And I think Reaper Man sort of skirts that line. I think it's obviously a very popular movie. Yeah. But um, maybe one that people haven't seen, yeah. I would say it's really niche, yeah. Like, I know tons and tons of people who are into like, you know, pretty specific types of movies that probably have never seen Repo Man. Maybe you've never heard of it. I don't know. Yeah, like I, I sort of toyed with it on the list today in um, in conjunction with Greg Araki's Nowhere from like 97, mm. which is a similar vibe. It's like a super gay take on like a sci-fi space monster type thing. Mm-hmm. Repo Man won out in the end, but I, I still mentioned it, so I, I win, you know. Fuck yeah, you still got it in. Yeah. Go on, what's your next one? My next one is... Um, I suppose maybe the only one on my list that that everyone in the entire world might not have heard of. It's a movie from 2018 uh, called Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman. Uh, I saw this movie on a flight, which is normally not the way you fall in love with movies. And it was a new movie. It had just come out. Mm. Um, and I just saw the cover, and I had no idea that what I was seeing on the cover was Nicole Kidman um, because the the makeup work and the the hair and the clothing and everything so amazing uh i started watching it in earnest i think the tagline was something about a down and out cop or you know a, a, a corrupt police detective or something which is something i really like as a trope mm. so i watched it on this flight and uh, i think i cried twice uh i was completely obsessed with the movie the second it finished i watched it twice <laughs> i watched it literally back to back on the plane wow. and then as soon as i got home i bought the blu-ray um I don't think I've ever fallen in love with a movie so quickly. I think it's 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 set in Southern California. Um, I don't want to say too much of it because I'll ruin it for people who haven't seen it. But it's it's a really grisly but incredibly beautiful down and out cop tale. 
Um, nice. I haven't seen it, so oh, I'll check it out. Yeah, dude, I highly recommend it. It's 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 really fun in parts as well, but it is a bit of a right of attrition. It's a it's a rough old watch. I think at like a career defining performance from Nicole Kidman, and, and I know this movie didn't necessarily reach its audience. I know it's not uh, one that people tend to trumpet, not even in her career, but more broadly. Um, but I really think it deserves uh, a little bit more love. So uh, directed by uh, Karen Kasuma, um, written by Phil Hay, just a an absolute winner. Twenty eighteen was was a kind of a weird year, I think, for uh, for movies, and, and this did some some really brave stuff. So highly highly recommended. Get out there and grab it. Nice, excellent. Okay, my next one is in a similar vibe to Repo Man, and that is Mark L. Lester's nineteen eighty two high school rape revenge teachers versus punk students movie class of 1984 not a movie i've seen it's it's tricky to define so it's like there are these punk kids in a movie in a movie in a high school uh they are in a movie it is a film they're also in a movie yeah um they are so full of potential but they have just fucked it all off it's 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 more sort of LA street gang stuff, really, like punk gangs. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit heightened, a little bit sort of class of Newcomb High sci-fi vibes, but like, nice. but it's it's a bit more grounded than that. Their teacher is desperately trying to get through to them, and they just keep, you know, stabbing people in the hallways and ultimately rape his wife, and then he has to take revenge. That's the movie. It's it's fucking great. Yeah. Sounds fucking gnarly. Last time Ben Small was over, I made him watch it. He said it was fine. He'd say every movie on both of our lists is fine. Yeah. So your your brutal um, punks in the hallway rape revenge movie is a perfect segue for my next movie, which is The Breakfast Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what can I say about The Breakfast Club that a million people haven't already said? I think... I didn't. I didn't see it at the right time in life. I think I would have taken a lot of solace in the Breakfast Club when I was young. I saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off and a, and a lot of other John Hughes movies. I didn't see Sixteen Candles. I saw the 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 funner, more irreverent, effervescent side of that catalogue. And then later in life, I I found out that there were you know, there were other movies that tackled even more of the teen angst side of things. Um, and when I watched Breakfast Club, I was maybe seventeen. Um, and I really feel like it informed a lot of my decision making and my thinking around, you know, how important it is to remember what it's like to be young as you get older. Yeah. Um, it really kind of crystallized that for me. And I had a 10 year career working in schools and I've done a ton of work with young people. And I really think if I hadn't seen The Breakfast Club, I probably would have been a lot shitter at my job <laughs> or I wouldn't have ended up doing it at all. But I love it. I love every second of that movie. I wouldn't skip a fucking single moment of it. Love it to bits. Yeah, no, it's a real, it's a real lesson in empathy i think mm, and it's uh, for sure it's it's wonderful i didn't see it very young either yeah probably too late for it to really make an impact mm. you were already done by then with empathy it was just it was over <laughs> but the breakfast club i think did a great job of taking like uh, archetypes and stereotypes and and kind of blending it all together and giving us something that was at least pointed in the right direction in terms of morality here and there you know it it is a movie that kind of asks you to question your judgment a little bit when you're judging people, especially when you're putting people in boxes. And for, for a movie of its time and a movie that was aimed at a really wide audience, yeah. I think it kind of did a really good job of sneaking in some some pretty good digs at adults, the system, the world in general, the way things work, 
And uh, I still want to see The Breakfast Club too. I want to see The Reunion. I want to see like a school reunion Breakfast Club movie. That would be... I just don't think that is is valid in any way. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, think, I think legacy sequels are one of the worst things that exist in the world. Broadly, yes. What, what's, the, what's the story? What's the, the conflict? There's, I don't fucking know, dude. I'm not fucking John Hughes. There's, <laughs> that's his job. There's a... He retired years ago, right? Bring him back out. D- dust his old dick off and get him back behind the camera. Did you ever watch... Were you a big, a big fan of Boy Meets World? I love Boy Meets World, yeah. Did you ever watch Girl Meets World? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. So Girl Meets World was like the reboot that they did a couple of years ago okay. where Corey and Topanga have a daughter. <laughs> and she's getting into all kinds of scrapes at school with her with her um, like friends. And Sean's in it and Eric's in it and the parents are in it and Feeney's in it and it's like a whole fucking thing. You've already blown my mind. Eric is like a senator. It's like, it's it's insane. <laughs> Sounds amazing. No, no, like, I mean, it was good until, it was good until the character of the girl who meets world comes on screen. <laughs> until the girl meets world. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> and like, obviously it was a Disney Channel show made in like the 2010s. Sure. Like, it's, it's never going to be good, but it was always, it was nice to revisit those characters, but it did lose its shine after a while because like, you know, we got a really solid ending with the end of Boy Meets World or the end of The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Like, you you understand it's like a, it's like a, a full stop at the end of a book. Mm. Like, it's, there's no need to go back and revisit that. I and agree. Like, it might, it might be nice, but then what, what's the, what's the value? What's the story that we're going to tell there? Like, that story's been told. Yeah. And I think, so there's, there's kind of two ways in my mind to look at this. You know, as Bender walks away, you're left with that resolution, right? Everyone's kind of learned their lesson, done their thing, and that's the end of the the, the fable. But the way I mm. feel about these, uh, are we calling them reboots, I guess? Or, or you know, legacy sequels, etc. Legacy sequels is, is Legacy the, sequel, think, yeah. Yeah. The way I feel about them is, I, I'm not so hardline that I think it does anything to the original material if a legacy sequel exists. I, I think the original still exists in its own vacuum, its own universe, and it is what it is. But... Uh, I know that a lot of people don't feel that way. So the way I see it is if you had a Breakfast Club legacy sequel where one of two things happened, it was either super, super sappy, they get together at a reunion and it does loads of flashbacks and we're just, you know, examining everyone's lives. Or, you know, there's a <laughs> there's like a bomb threat at the high school and everyone comes together or something crazy like that. I don't think that's going to ruin or sully the original. I, I see it as bonus material. Like... <clears throat> I, I can agree with you, but I also think, like, part of the joy of a film like The Breakfast Club, mm. more so than, say, Halloween, yeah, is wondering what happens to those characters after the credits roll. Absolutely. And so yeah. if, if there's a definitive answer to that, and the answer is bullshit, yeah. then that, that does do something to the, to the original, in my mind. It makes, it makes me stop having the same relationship with it. Yeah, no, I can totally see why. And I know a lot of people feel exactly the same. I love that kind of long lost feeling of, you know, finishing watching a movie and kind of laying in bed and, and thinking about all the eventualities. What happened next? What did what happened to this character? Where did she end up? What happened? And, and I think the internet has obviously annihilated that because you, know, yeah. you can just fucking uh, go down the, the world's most disgusting rabbit hole with any kind of potential eventuality and lose all of your imagination in a heartbeat. But... 
I love remembering that as a as a younger human in the world. And I yeah, I agree. It maybe does sully that experience a little bit. But you know, I, I kind of feel like with the Halloween movies, the 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 reboots, the the follow ups, the the different kind of tangents in the universe, etc., hasn't really fucked with the original for me. And um, it kind of fired my imagination in different directions in a lot of ways because I thought to myself, what would I have done differently or, you know, my yeah. hubris or what would I have liked to have seen as a, as an entitled audience member? You know, it doesn't do anything good, but it does, uh, it does at least put something there. So uh, yeah, I think it would. Yeah. I mean, Halloween's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you've got diverging paths of sequels. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, so it, it, it's almost like Elseworlds, like DC Elseworlds at this point. Like, it can just be... Yeah. You can make a Halloween movie set 10 years after the original Halloween, and it'd be, like, completely different to anything it could be else a prequel. you've seen before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. None of it makes any sense. But, yeah, I mean, I completely take your point that this it would be an awful, awful thing to have a, a Breakfast Club legacy sequel, but I would still love to see it. <laughs> same, <laughs> same way uh, the Bill and Ted thing was awful, but I was really excited to see it. I watched it, and it hasn't in any way tarnished the originals for me. It's just a thing I, I experienced. A yeah. I cried. This <laughs> 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 is telling our listeners everything they need to know about me. Cried at Skull Island, Destroyer, Bill and Ted, <laughs> every movie I'm going to mention, basically. So, yeah, anyway, that's, that's The Breakfast Club. Moving swiftly on. Over to you, bud. So, yeah, so my next one, I'm going to go for something a bit modern, and I'm going to go for something in a horror genre because, you know, we're a horror podcast. Fuck yeah. Um, and I'm going to go for 2020. Um, Stephen Kostansky, formerly mm. of the uh, the group Astron 6, released a little movie called Psycho Gorman. Here he is. I love Psycho Gorman <laughs> more than almost anything else. It's so funny. It's so good. Like, Steve Kostansky has got this magic way of making... Terrible special effects that are, that are like super low budget special effects, but just making them feel lived in and real. Mm-hmm. And like they're still goofy and they're meant to be goofy. That's kind of the point. But like Psycho Gorman is is the touching story of uh, an an ancient evil space dictator yeah. who's trapped underground in on Earth for loads of years until a, a young girl comes across the the crystal that controls him and they become best friends and they save the earth together through a series of horrible, gory, violent scenes and also some like songs. It's great. A tale as old as Have you seen Psycho Gorman? No, but it's, it's very high up on my list. I kind of thought we might end up doing it for the pod. So I've maybe subconsciously put it off. No, I don't think, I think it's too new and I like it too much. Mm-hmm. to have anything to say that is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, so it's here. Steve Kostansky, like I said, is part of Astron 6. They've made some of my favourite movies over the years. I was a big fan of Manborg. Mm-hmm. Uh was a big fan of Father's Day, which they released through Troma. They did a, they did a, tra- a trailer short called Biocop, which is the funniest six minutes of your life. Biocop? Yeah. I mean, anything, anything cop, I mean. It's, I think maybe when we're done with this, I just want to watch you watch it. It's like, it's like five minutes long. It's just, it's the funniest fucking thing. Can't be in. Um, so yeah, Psycho Gorman. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's fucking great. That's it. Can't be in. Who do you think does the best trailers? Because I, I don't, I, for maybe, 
best part of 10 years, I haven't watched trailers. I just avoid them like the plague. They yeah. ruin everything for me. And, you know, part of the fun of seeing a movie for me is, is just going based on as little as possible nowadays. But who does good trailers? Anyone? I mean, I think all trailers are bad now. Yeah. Too much too much bits, too much stuff. There's no, uh, there's no like, auteur trailers anymore, right? No. The Barbie trailer, pretty great. Well, the Barbie trailer was pretty great. The first one, which was the, like, the the openings of 2001. Mm. But that's just the start of the movie. It's not, like, an actual trailer. True. Maybe that's it. The art of the trailer is dead. Yeah. There's a big difference between just, like, showing a bunch of shit in a movie and putting together a trailer. Maybe that's the... Maybe that's the trick. Well, I went back and watched uh, a couple of the trailers of the movies that we've, uh, you know, looked at for the podcast and um, way better then than now, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I could watch a trailer back then on a VHS and not feel like I'd watch the entire movie, you know? Yeah, I, th- I think the the thing that's killed the trailers is like the lack of voiceover. Mm. Oh my God, you're right. Like, I think that there's... The voiceover is doing something. It's telling us. It's telling you our story, but it's not the story yeah. of the film. It's, it's it, ambiguous. Yeah, it's giving you like here's a snapshot mm. of the of this movie that you are now going to watch because you've watched this trailer. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I think that's uh, that's the downfall of trailers. It's the lack of voiceover. That one guy died, and so no one's doing in a world. That's a great point, though, because there's an artistry to that. There's a narrative. There's a clever little balance of, of narrative structure there in that tiny little window of time. You've got to show an audience what they want to see. You've got to coax them in. You've got to leave them wondering. And you've got to essentially tell them enough about the movie to make them pay to see it, but not so much that they, they think they've already seen it. That's that's fucking clever. Now it's just a montage yeah. of the bits that tested best yeah. or the bits that elicited the biggest reaction. It's like a fucking TikTok. Anyway, that's a whole other tangent. Can you tell I'm stalling off doing my fourth movie because I've got the six written down here to pick from? Go on. So because you, specifically because you chose a horror movie, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna say something that I'm probably going to kick myself over in no time, but I'm going to go with Friday the 13th. Okay. And I'm going to stop talking there before I say part four. I'm going with Friday the 13th <laughs> um, because it's, it's the the horror movie that um, made me love horror. Basically, it's not by any stretch of the imagination my favorite horror movie, or even the best of that kind of horror movie for me, if I'm totally honest. But uh, from the second Mrs. Voorhees shows up until the end of the movie, it's some of my favorite shit to watch on a screen. Yeah, um, there's a lot a lot to be said about. I think we'll probably do Friday the Thirteenth at some point because we kind of have to. So Friday the 13th for me um, doesn't necessarily hit the mark in a lot of regards for the first maybe like hour of the movie. But it's the first movie that made me uh, obsessed with something dark and something horrific. So um, it, it also spawned a whole bunch of stuff I love and a whole bunch of stuff I can't stand. Uh, so it does everything that horror does for me, to be honest. It, it, it captures my imagination. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me imagine new new things and new worlds and new possibilities. It lets me down. It grosses me out. Um, it, it presents a bunch of really lowbrow crap mixed in with stuff that I think is genuinely artistic genius. And it shoves it all in front of you unashamedly. And I think for that reason, it's pivotal in my horror experience, my movie going experience, my film loving life. And uh, a huge part of my, just my love of entertainment is rooted in 
movies like and specifically Friday the 13th. Mm. Okay. I mean, I it's a fine film. Exactly. It kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of regret saying it. But it resonates with me so much more than a lot of movies I love for some reason. It's hard to articulate. Well, okay, since since you went with a bit of an origin story mm. for this one, I'll I'll do I'll do similar, which isn't on isn't one of the ten that I'd written down. Yeah. Which is and like it, it feels dumb to recommend this because everybody in the world's fucking seen it. Right. But Night of the Living Dead was my like intro into horror. Oh yeah. I'd seen mm-hmm. maybe snippets of stuff before, but I think I was maybe eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. I had a TV in my bedroom that had terrestrial channels and then whatever my parents were watching on sky i could also see yeah. in on that tv and i guess one night channel four was showing night of the living dead and it was way past my bedtime and i was sitting in the dark watching night of the living dead and you know it's it's there's there's some stuff that happens and it's really cool mm-hmm. but the thing that really hit me was like oh shit like the spoiler alert but like the hero <laughs> dies yeah. at the end and it's just like it's it's like oh I didn't know that could happen. Like, I didn't realize that that was allowed. Like, yeah. And it blew my mind. And it, and so, yeah, it really made me love and want to see subversive films. And I, I can't say anything else about Night of the Living Dead because. Well, that, that moment is so massive. Like, I had exactly the same thing as you. I watched it when I was too young. And it made me wonder if I was rooting for the right guy because he died. It made me question the whole movie front to back and I had to watch it again to figure out who the hell I was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's really important. That's I think that's a, obviously a movie I love. Um, and, you know, anything with Of the Dead in it is pretty foundational in, in my understanding and love of horror. So, I mean, my alternates for Friday the 13th were uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, again, like, in terms of like movies that shape the way you see things that are scary, Terminator 2 scared me out of my mind mm. when I was a kid. And I've been in love with it ever since. It's easily in my top five favorite movies ever. So there's a, a little tidbit of uh, horror origin story for you. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Listen, man. I've really enjoyed talking to you today in uh, in what has been a preface to hopefully hundreds of thousands of episodes of you and me talking about horror movies uh, for the world to eavesdrop on. Yeah, this is the intro to the UK's longest running horror podcast. Yeah, this is this is where it all began, everyone. When you look back on the UK's longest running legacy horror podcast, when you're talking to your friends about what's the greatest reboot legacy requel that you've ever heard or imagined in your entire life think of final transmission because this is where it will start this ground zero i'm a little bit drunk <laughs> <laughs> started me to go on right yeah absolutely so yeah alongside films and stuff um we've also put together a bit of a playlist for you um at the moment it's just some of our favorite songs um but if you uh, i'll link it in the show notes and if you hit follow we will update that playlist every time we release an episode. So you will uh, always have new and exciting things to listen to. That's a promise. That I is, will definitely do that. That is a promise. I might make that your responsibility. Uh, great. That is definitely <laughs> a promise. <laughs> no, I'm down with that. Um, Jamie and I both respectively have music projects that we uh, that we work on pretty much tirelessly and continuously. 
Uh, so <laughs> for you, maybe <laughs> I've had one throwing stuff kick this year, and we might have another in a few months, which is terrifying. Yeah. I saw your recent post on social media where you had messaged your band's group and said, I thought we agreed not to practice anymore. <laughs> there, there was some context to that, which was carefully snipped out by Kieran fucking Kelly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So check out Throwing Stuff, um, one of the UK's finest hardcore bands, hardcore punk bands, um, and one of my favourite hardcore punk bands of all time. Oh, well, that's very nice of you to say. Yeah, no exaggeration, no word of a lie. I love throwing stuff as much as I love fucking any hardcore band, basically. Um, and check out Sam Russo. You should check That's out Sam my... Russo, especially if he's walking away from you. He won't say. <laughs> Hate to see you go, love to see you leave, or whatever people say. Yeah, um, Face Off could have been on the list. Could have been. Probably, let's do a whole... No, let's not go back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check out Throwing Stuff. Check out Sam Russo. And uh, do all the dumb bullshit that everyone says you should do, like uh, rate and review. We love reading reviews. Yep. We especially love um, reviews that are scathing and hilarious. Um, and check out social media bullshit. Do that. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at FT Horror Show. Um, but I fucking dare you to write a review. How about that? Oof. Challenge. Damn straight. In the words of John Michael Thor at the end of rock and roll nightmare we accept the challenge except we don't because you're not challenging me to do it but you should accept the challenge <laughs> dear listener i think i might be a little bit drunk too <laughs> <laughs> listen if you've had fun tonight come back this is final transmission good night jamie good night sam Bum, bum, bum. We did it.